0: Expedition 44, we are on a series on atonement, and we have done an introduction, and we also did a uh, first film, which we would say is foundational to everything. Matt, what did that talk about? Yeah,
1: sacrifices, we looked at the five sacrifices in Leviticus, and uh, looked at, did God need lot to forgive and yeah. we saw that he didn't that it was really um god allowed sacrifices in the ancient culture as a way to express religious allegiance and devotion to him
0: now in many ways that first film is paramount to the entire series and that's why we started with it first if you don't get that one and that's why we said it's really like a three-day film when mm-hmm. you watch that you gotta sit down you gotta yeah. hit pause you gotta read all through all this stuff because if you don't get that you really don't connect the rest now today we're doing what's called the Exodus. And most people know the Exodus well. They know the story of the freedom of God's people out of Egypt and things like that. But what they don't recognize is that that is a theme or a motive for the rest of scripture and particularly mm-hmm. the cross. And so that's where it ties into atonement. And this is actually very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everybody understands what the Exodus is, whether they've watched an animated movie on it, or the old-school Charlton Heston Heston, thing. But most people have a pretty good understanding of Exodus, but they don't have a good understanding of why it's important and how it's going to build the framework for nearly all the Bible. We see this explained from the very first story in the Bible of Eden all the way to Revelation. And so Mm -hmm. it's absolutely paramount, and some people get part of it, like they'll describe it as perhaps an Old Testament shadow or, Mm -hmm. you know, look at Christ kind of going back and making references, circular references, but they don't really have the theological framework right to make the full connection on everything. So today I could, uh, I could probably explain this whole film in about 30 seconds, but what we need to do is walk through it. Matt and I, what we'd like to do is not leave one rock uncovered. Mm -hmm. And so this one is going to be a little bit um methodical in nature we're just going to kind of work through a lot and in a lot of our films we say things that are just groundbreaking i mean i can't tell you how many times people email and go that like totally changed my worldview or my thought or mm-hmm. something. I'm not sure that today's film is going to rock your world that way, but I will say that every little piece of this, once you see it, it's kind of like the Deuteronomy 30, 32 worldview. It's
1: everywhere. Once <laughs> you
0: see it, it's everywhere. You yep. can't not see it mm-hmm. anymore. And so this is going to make some really strong connections for the way that you view other theology. Mm-hmm. And that's where we said in the introduction that so much of this... Well, I I hear people talk about the Exodus and talk about their view of atonement, and they don't make sense together. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't work theologically. And so today is really important to kind Mm -hmm. of build the framework for a really strong theological picture of how you see Jesus and the cross and atonement.
1: So So, where are we going? So Jesus was crucified during Passover, and so that's the big thing. So we need to connect. What does Passover mean? What does the Exodus mean? Um, and then connect that to the cross. So yeah. if Jesus is specifically saying, "All right, I'm giving myself over to the the powers and gonna be crucified during Passover," Passover has the most meaning for the cross. So if you don't Absolutely. understand that, then you're not gonna understand this. Jesus is described in the Bible as the Lamb of God and our Passover Lamb. Um, so we need to see what it's communicating about his death and resurrection. and
0: So we, when we read the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, we need to know how to better interpret that phrase. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that through the years, that has been interpreted very poorly. Yeah. And so today we're going to see... What, what's a better interpretation for the way that we look at that through the death and resurrection of Christ?
1: Yeah, so usually, um, and in the previous videos, we try not to throw too many stones at penal substitution, but you and I both see that they distort this view a little bit and don't actually minimize the Exodus view when it comes to the cross when it was Jesus' major motif. And so um, some things we need to look at here um, as we're going through this, think. Is there wrath or appeasement involved in the Exodus? Yeah. Is there a purchase of forgiveness involved in the Exodus? Is there any debt or legal transaction in the Exodus? And who is God acting upon here? Is it is he getting is he venting out his rage or wrath against people or is it something to deal with the powers
0: so we use terminology of the exodus all the time in fact i'm going to say as you're looking at these atonement theories we're going to look at the parting of the sea and we've got psa substitution debt theories ransom theories on this side and then you have more of the christus victor theories on the other side that are kind of packaged together and so as we're kind of looking at those, on on this side, this is the one we have the harder time with. Mm-hmm. And so as we're, again, we're not throwing stones at it, that's where we see the most problems. And mm-hmm. so we're going to kind of make some references to that side. And then on the Christus Victor side, I mean, today's discussion... It's not really about a particular ransom theory, but you're going to see the Christus Victor model throughout today's discussion.
1: Yep, so uh, we need to begin today with looking at exile thinking. Uh, You alluded to it a little bit ago. We talked about it in our first episode. So the exile and the exodus have a lot to do with each other. And so um, we look at the garden. Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden because they ate from the tree, usurped God's authority, yeah. listened to the serpent, yeah. um, but they remember. This whole
0: yeah. thing going on. Mm-hmm. Is that the devil? Is it not the devil? Is it a precursor for powers of evil? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about all those things before, but yeah. the important thing is, is it's exile.
1: Yeah, and um, when we look at that whole exile thing, God's promise of the exile of humanity from his presence was in Genesis 3.15 where it talks about that the snake will bite the heel but you will crush the head type thing and it's not about payment but defeat of the powers and we talked about that a little bit last week.
0: Yeah so when we get to the story of the exodus um, I think most listeners understand what we mean by a Deuteronomy 32 view but that was the idea that there were lots of gods that were kind of ruling different groups Mm -hmm. of people that that God gave them over to that and at some point they all fell they all rebelled and so the story of Exodus is about God pulling his people out of that world of rebellion crossing crossing into a new life a new picture of freedom with him and this is going to be the framework for later regaining all those nations Mm -hmm. that had been lost.
1: Alright, so let's start by getting into the Exodus. We kind of gave a big picture there with exile, but specifically we're going to focus in on the book of Exodus here. Yeah, I um, call this the cosmic battle. Yeah, so we're probably familiar with Exodus where God calls Moses to free the people, um, to stand up to Pharaoh, set the Hebrews free, and there are ten plagues in each of these plagues was a judgment on an Egyptian god, essentially. Yeah. So it's a cosmic battle going on here.
0: Now, we're going to do a lot of reading. And you'll notice in some of the ex- other Exodus uh, Expedition 44 of Exodus 44 films, that yeah. would have been good, too. Yeah. Um, the You're going to notice that we write all the Bible verses on here for you to follow along. This, this whole series, we're not doing that because I'm trying to encourage you to get the Bible in yeah, front of you, have
1: it in front of you as you read listening. for
0: yourself. Highlight, work, get parallel translations. I hope you have our 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 video on this screen where you're pushing pause. Hopefully, you have a two screen setup on your computer. The next screen, you're you're available to look up different parallel references and things like that. You got the real deal Bible here. And maybe if you're that far along the way, you even, you know, have some kind of version of Hebrew in front of you.
1: Yeah. So let's read a little bit. Of Exodus, Exodus 12, 12 to um, 13. We'll look at All right. So what's this whole like the last plague? This yeah. is what you are talking about here. So uh, so the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both of the people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are and when I see the blood I shall pass over it and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt.
0: Now this is one of those verses that I get to and we always want in our western thinking we don't think of these gods as real gods. We want to like write them off as like oh they were you know fictitious pieces of you know imagination back then they're like our tv idols Mm -hmm. today and things like that when at some point, you're going to have to come to reality these were the real deal. These mm-hmm. were spiritual powers. They were little g-gods that ruled over people, and they were probably very real. Now, some of it might have been imaginative yeah. gods that the Egyptians dreamed up. If if they saw this god, there must be another god. So. Let's just talk about some of these gods. Who were they that were being referenced to? All
1: right, so we got 10 plagues, and these 10 plagues associate with different gods in Egypt. So we got the Nile turned to blood, and that's Hopi. Basically the bull god, the god of the Nile. Um, and a
0: lot of these gods are, are going to carry for generations and mm-hmm. generations. So this isn't, uh, this isn't just Exodus or Babylonia yeah. or Egypt or anything like that. But particularly this god and a lot of the other mm-hmm. ones are going to find their way into a Greco-Roman mindset and that's why this exodus motif is still important during that greco-roman time period yeah we
1: also have isis who is the god of nile um next is the frogs play the frogs and we got haket uh which is the goddess of birth um the god of fertility and we see the frogs went everywhere so it's like basically saying hey your goddess um, might give uh The ability for birth, but now it can't control the multiplying. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and it's also interesting that this god is going to be one that's associated with the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. This is really important Mm -hmm. to the Egypt Egyptians at this time because we think of pyramids and what they're doing with the dead, and that those those people that were gods believed that if they made the Mm -hmm. cut, so to speak, that they might actually become a god themselves. And this is the god that was going to be responsible for that kind of judgment, deciding whether Mm -hmm. they made the cut or
1: not yeah and then the next was set uh the god of the desert storms and yeah. this is the gnats were like that of a desert storm yeah. coming upon them so uh next was flies and that's uh ra the sun god um and um so and then there was um you t-shirt uh which uh i don't know if i pronounced that right but this is egyptian we're yeah, not really we're, we're not really <laughs> egyptian guys but but uh, the head of that one represented, or the it's represented sometimes in hieroglyphics as a fly. That god. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, yeah. now,
0: one thing I, I wish we could
1: really stop and spend like a whole film on Just each one much of these, is.
0: because again, this whole series we're saying it's going to be the longest series we ever done, and uh-huh. we, it could have easily been two or three times mm-hmm. as long as it is. I mean, we could have yeah. done a film. A week for a year on mm-hmm. this and so I hope you're stopping and slowing down and getting the references yeah. here.
1: Yeah, um, Michael Heiser taught through the book of Exodus on his Naked Bible podcast and he goes through each of these when he's going through the plague. So that's another good reference that you guys can go go look at. Uh next one was the depth of the livestock, and that's uh, Hathor, the goddess that had a cow head, and Apis was a, the bull god and it symboled fertility mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yep. um but they all die all right we g- <laughs> then we got boils that's uh, sekhmet who's the goddess over disease and uh sunu which is the pestilence god isis is also the healing god so we got all of this going against who's being healed and who's not yep. being healed
0: that's important
1: yeah and we got hail is the next plague we got nut the sky goddess and osiris which is the goddess of crops and fertility set the god of the desert storms you know so we have all of the storm god, the sky god, the crops and fertility. We saw the hail wiped out a lot yep, of this stuff. All of that
0: is. Women, childbirth, yeah. all that stuff. So, what I hope you're getting here is that. Throughout these ten plagues, each one of the ten plagues was really about cosmic spiritual mm-hmm. warfare. Um, yeah. Every single one of them, it was about God saying that that I'm in control yeah. and I'm more powerful than this little God. That mm-hmm. that I am. We're gonna get to this language, Elian, the Most yeah. High. That I am the God of gods. Why do we sing that all the yeah. time? You know, we we sing that in our songs. That we, you know, God Most High, God over gods. Yeah. And, do you really believe that I yeah,
1: slipped you higher stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Uh, so darkness. We got Ra, the sun god, which was the chief god um, there to the Egyptians. And then we got uh, the last one, which was the the death of the firstborn. So we got Min, who is the god of reproduction. We talked about Heket. ISIS And even Pharaoh was considered a god. And so Pharaoh's firstborn son would have been the predecessor. Yeah. And so that's almost like killing a god.
0: Yeah, so when we talk about Passover, you'll remember that, the blood mm-hmm. over the doorposts and things yep. like that. What exactly is going on there? We want to read this, and we read it as, as this thing of just the people not mm-hmm. getting killed or, you know, yeah. the, the death. But there's a lot more. This is a spiritual war that's in transaction.
1: Yep. So um, let's just read a little bit of Exodus 12. So the Lord said... This to is Mo-
0: Exodus 12, 1-3-11. Yep.
1: Yeah. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt... This is the month that will be the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man should take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with the nearest neighbor. Um, Having taken into account the number of people that there are, you are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old male without defect you may take them from the sheep or the goats uh, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight then you take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses uh, where they will eat the lambs that same night that they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs make bread without yeast do not eat the meat raw or boiled but roasted over a fire with its heads, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If something is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover.
0: Now, we always look at history unfold, and we we kind of get into this weird idea of how much does God know in foresight? Mm -hmm. How much was planned out? Did he know this is going to happen? So we get this picture of the angel of death passing over, and this is where... You know, you see Moses going to his people and they don't have a lot of trust in Moses right now. And he's saying... Put this over there, and at this point, we want to read this as salvation, and it's not there yet. This is a precursor to to what we want to put as salvation. So this is more of him saying, "Who is your allegiance going to be to?" And Mm -hmm. and this really gets into this good news series. We've made films on the good news and salvific thinking as momentary being wrong. That it's more of a journey. And this, I just want to take a second to reify that in this story. That you know. This isn't salvation for the Jews, for the Hebrews at this point. This is a precursor to that. So what Mm -hmm. it's saying is Moses is saying, draw your line here. And he's kind of using a threatening thing of saying, if you don't draw your line, you're going to lose life here. Make a decision of do you want life with the God of gods or do you want to stay in your old world? And what we know of is almost everybody, whether they were scared into it or not, they're they're going to put the the blood over their doorposts because they're drawing the line of allegiance. They're saying we need what God Most High has and we believe that he is in our good. Now, I get back to... The foresight, the predestination, all this kind of stuff coming into play here, this is a spiritual war. Could it be that this was supposed to have been the only spiritual war, like the we call it the angel of death, but that was probably a whole multitude of a spiritual force that came in amongst these rebellious gods and Could it have just happened right there and they left? Well, we kind of get that picture in the story that it should have been as easy as that, but then it continues with the plagues and everything else.
1: Yep. So what do we see here in this passage? We see that they take care of a lamb for four days. It's without defect, whereas even when they um, kill it and eat it, they're supposed to have no broken bones. Uh, They use the blood on the doors. Uh, do we see any wrath, purchase, or payment here? Right? I don't see any of that. No, no. <laughs> maybe, wrath, maybe wrath against the gods, <laughs> but
0: not against people. And it is true that almost every time we're always debunking wrath theories. Uh-huh. And throughout the Bible, we really never get this picture of this angry, wrathful God, you know, outpouring on on people. Mm-hmm. It's almost always on things or entities or 90% of the time, I might even say, on these fallen spiritual beings.
1: Yep. So the firstborn of Egypt dies, why? Cool. If you remember
0: earlier, the Egyptians kill the firstborn male.
1: Yeah, of the the Israelites, so, yeah. uh, the Hebrews. So it's not exactly retribution, but it's kind of mercy. God could have killed all the Egyptians here. Yeah. He could have wiped them all out because they're all under these spiritual beings. And we get this twice. So the first time is when he just
0: passes over mm-hmm. and, and kills the firstborn, but the second time is, in what we refer to as the Red Sea, we'll get to, we'll get that. to that, when when the army, the Egyptian army is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, God could have, if he did those two things, he easily could have just completely wiped out Egypt, mm-hmm. like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, yep. and you know later Canaan, which kind of was Sodom and Gomorrah, and things yep. like that. We get these words of utter destruction when we get there. He's not there yet. So you need to view this as mercy. Now, he does kind of eventually get there where he's not yeah. going to put up with it anymore. But this is like where he's giving the Egyptians time after time, mm-hmm. even though they're not his people, he wants yeah. to regain them later. But right now, we still see mercy also to what would be the other people that are, that are affected by this. The war is against the spiritual powers. And if the people side with the spiritual powers, there's going to be death that comes Mm -hmm. out of that but if they don't side with the spiritual powers there's mercy so it's a picture at the very beginning that there still might have been mercy Mm -hmm. to those that were unclear that didn't want to side with egypt that take
1: that into your theory of hell would
0: have have left with the Hebrews, and later could they be regained into that kingdom perhaps yeah it's a lot of thinking yep all right so
1: let's move into the sea crossing um so the crossing of the red sea um, is another important, I uh, yeah. air-quoted Red Sea there, right. so we're, we're going to get into that. Uh, Exodus 15 contains the Song of the Sea. Miriam leads the nation in a song of God's deliverance from their enemies. It's after they get through the sea. Um, so Exodus 15, Ryan, is the oldest text that we have in the Bible, along with Deuteronomy 32. They're in this kind of paleo-Hebrew. Yeah, so this is, Hebrew is difficult by
0: itself. And, you know, I spent about six years studying Hebrew, and I still feel like I know about this much of it. And so, um, Deuteronomy 32 is going to be very similar to um, several, you know, I'd say some, some text in Isaiah, Isaiah 1. There's also some other ones in there where it's written in this style that we don't really have a good handle on. And what's hard is even though I would say they are some of the oldest texts we have, There's still not, we we like to use this word, original manuscripts. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a joke to the scholars because we really don't have any original Original manuscripts. manuscripts. You know, there's a few in, you know the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it's pretty much understood that everything we have is a copy of a copy of yeah. a copy.
1: It's more of a tradition. Yeah. So, yeah. And
0: and when you go back to this, into mosaic period thinking, these are oral traditions passed mm-hmm. on. And so yep. most people are surprised that they think that we have these writings that are three, 4,000 B.C., and we really have... Very little bits and pieces, if even that. The mm-hmm. majority of what we have isn't until much later into really exile second period thinking.
1: Yeah, so part of the problem in terms of interpreting this text here in Exodus 15, so the the, the sea crossing, is that in our contemporary world, almost all literature of the time that, that we study in the West is devoted completely to historical concerns... Yeah. And not so much of theological concerns they always ask did the exodus happen was there really a moses what year did it happen who is the pharaoh right where did it happen what body of water did they cross
0: so matt and i have this saying that a lot of other scholars have kind of given and we've taken and perceived it that the bible is not trying to teach history it's mm-hmm. not trying to be a science book it's yeah. not even trying to be a bath book or anything else it's It's concerned with God's story Mm -hmm. to the people that he wants to get. Now, if it was going to write on everything, it would have been much bigger than it is. Mm -hmm. And the simple picture is kind of need to know. I've, I've mentioned this several times that even what we have that's important, like the the final picture, a recreated Mm -hmm. heaven and earth and and spiritual, that we become those finished works. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not convinced that this sanctification work isn't done until that final stage. Mm -hmm. We talk about salvation. When does that happen? I don't know. Maybe it's not fully culminated until the very end. It's hard to say.
1: Yeah. So that whole view of uh, basically reading science and it wasn't until the 19th century that history became a science. So for so much of the history of the world, history wasn't viewed as, as a science. And we try to read this enlightenment worldview back back into the text. And really, a non-Israelite worldview and theology is what the text cared about, and not so much uh, modern science history, not concordism.
0: So in terms of context, we need to read for the major view of the context. We always say this, that people mm-hmm. build these crazy doctrines out of something this big Mm -hmm. that was a completely minor part of this. Stick to the majors and you'll end up in the right place. So even though... The Bible is true, don't get me wrong. It is true about history and Mm -hmm. science. We found that over and over, archeologically and then in science I've made lots of references. That's part of the whole circumcision thing is this was God's ideal, one, because it worked in science. Mm -hmm. And we found that out thousands of years later. Why did God suggest that they get circumcised and do it this way? Because it was in a polygamous culture. They knew there were gonna be STDs even though they didn't know what that meant. And God was saying, purity yep. righteousness
1: yep so let's get into the red sea it wasn't called the red sea <laughs> why do we call it the red sea that's interesting yeah so, so when the the greeks started calling it the red sea or the the septuagint yeah so when the, the septuagint was and since we talked about this is such ancient hebrew they look at this and they're like Asked like, "What body of water is this?" And you're like, "Oh, it's the Red Sea." So all this stuff is going
0: to be happening at the beginning of the Second Temple period. Yeah, so we're we're kind of looking at the oh, I would say this starts about 400 BC. Mm -hmm. That Septuagint is usually kind of, you know, closely modeled closer to 200 BC. So that 200 to 400 period, everything's coming together, and so the the people are kind of released out of this exile. They're, they're invited yeah. to come back and to build temples and do that. So we have this huge building of sacred texts and a lot mm-hmm. of writing going on and things like that. So we want to know the way that they're thinking.
1: Yeah. Um, so when they're translating this, especially if you go to like when King James is translated, yeah. they're looking back at the Latin, they're looking at the Greek and they're like, oh, it must be the Red Sea. But because because so, it's so ancient, they didn't have like a grasp on this style right. of Hebrew. We've learned more since then, yeah. and we've also learned more about Egyptian. Uh, so, in if we look at this just in terms of colors, and you look at Egyptian texts, they didn't refer to the it as the Red Sea. It's a green. <laughs> yeah, they, they said all the big bodies of water were the big green. Yeah. So the, the great green would have been the Mediterranean yeah. Sea and that. So um, it's uh, Yam Suf, which. It, it really means the Sea of Reeds. Yeah. Um, and that's usually what you'll hear, which which isn't wrong necessarily, but... Um,
0: and it actually had more of a... Um had a, had a more of a meaning of the end. And yeah. this is really kind of important when you look at the Red Sea. Yeah, because, an Egyptian. Yeah, yeah, so even before all of this happened, there was a connotation with the sea that this was the border. this was the border, this was the extremity, this was the ending place. And that was a reference kind of to life. Now, we don't know if the Egyptian rulers were saying this so they would kind of make these borders sacred. Yeah. That's important Mm -hmm. to see sacred borders here of kind of instilling in the people, don't leave our borders or death will come to you.
1: We even see that in Hebrew thought, the borders of the camp and what dwelt outside in the Mm -hmm. desert and north, the, the, uh, the, theological, the space of north to Egypt was where the evil powers,
0: yeah. Resided. Go go down and minister to, to these people, and In you know, north. go north, and it's uh-huh. you're really going down. How yeah. does that work? Yeah.
1: East is another one. Don't go bad. east. Don't Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So let's get into kind of crossing the sea. We see that actually, like the Red Sea should be the Reed Sea or the Border Sea. So it, yeah. it's more, not talking about an actual i mean it was an actual body of water but yeah. the theological meaning of it it was a it was the place where you exit <laughs> basically. now
0: this is important don't don't get us wrong here we're we're not even touching whether the red sea is this sea or, sea or not. not it probably was it so we don't have a big problem with people that say that but what we're trying to do is get back to what we know. This is what biblical theology is all about. Mm-hmm. We we don't want to call it the modern day Red Sea that we know of and get that in our mindset because we don't have that. We mm-hmm. want to go with what we have. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. So the crossing of the sea. So when we think of the crossing of the sea, we have what you alluded to earlier, two pictures in our heads, either yeah. Charlton Heston <laughs> or, the, or the Prince of Egypt. Yeah. So those are the two <laughs> things, the, the animated show. Yeah. So um, and when we think of that, we don't. When what we see the picture of in Exodus 15 is this the Lord winning this huge battle right, right? right so we have him defeating the armies and the gods and all of this stuff but when we actually see what's happening in the text it's Israel running away from an army chasing after them. It doesn't look yeah. like this great battle that, right. that's being won by them or God. It seems like they're running scared.
0: So this is very interesting. If you were to go back in time and ask the Egyptians if Moses was going to rescue them, what would a good rescue look like? They would probably say, well, we want to learn to fight. We want to like defeat Egypt and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's not, they do defeat Egypt, mm-hmm. but not the way they thought they were going to defeat Egypt. Hold on to that thought for a while. Yeah,
1: so Exodus fifteen six says this. Um, so it says, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Who was the Egyptian enemy? Yeah, so the god of war in Egypt was the god of Mantu. Mantu is sort of the an aspect of Ra it was his right hand his god of war
0: so this is the sun god now mm-hmm. an off an often reference in egyptian culture is that this was the god most high now mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to gravitate towards that because when we talk about the god most high we talk about elion mm-hmm. and so when we go to egypt and the egyptians think that they have this great god ra mm-hmm. the whole story is God saying, Ra is not the most yeah. high God, but I am the most high God. I am
1: Elion. So in the Egyptian point of view, Ra's mighty right hand was Mantu, and that's what he was called. Well, he was this God of war, but it's saying that the Egyptians' God of war, the high God's basically hitman, was destroyed by Yahweh.
0: So in every God that we see, and this is why we started describing the gods, that in every God we see... God most high is going to say, but I'm better than that, mm-hmm. but I'm better than that, but I'm yeah. better. And I'm going to defeat them and show you that this, that there's no question to be had here.
1: Yeah. So even the Pharaohs after this, there was a, it would take kind of like middle names yeah. and strong arm or, or yeah. Horus the strong arm right. was one of them um, that we had and. What basically the biblical writers are doing is using this strong arm language and applying it to Yahweh as divine smack talk against Egypt.
0: Now, this is interesting. We always go back to these writers. Is this, you know, how much did God give them and how Mm -hmm. much were they just writing? But the thing that I want you to get is when we read this, and I'll have Matt read Ezekiel here... The, the writers were, as he said, it, it's smack talk. Mm-hmm. They're, they're raising up, it's a form of honoring God most high over the rest of the gods and saying they're nothing compared to our
1: God. Yeah, and even centuries, or many years later, Ezekiel yeah. chapter 30, 20, verse 21, it says, son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh in Egypt. And He goes on to saying that with his mighty right arm, or the yeah. sovereign Lord has yeah. basically destroyed them. So he's still using this divine smack talk years later yeah um so yeah the right arm broken means you can't hold a sword you can't make war this is about war against the gods and their defeat that they can't even make war against yahweh anymore
0: yeah so let's get back to the red sea Mm -hmm. when we when we mentioned the red sea we kind of mentioned that they were in in egyptian culture they were kind of told don't don't cross here you might Receive death or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that when the Israelites got to this body of water, there was like this tremor going on mm-hmm. of like, are we going to die? What's uh-huh. going to happen? Are the gods going to come strike us down, you know? But
1: but what do we see there? So in the pyramid texts in Egypt, you'll see this this river sticks. Yeah. Um, and it's a body of water to them, which was on the border. It's the border between life and death. And so what this represented in kind of their mythology is when, when they would die, they would have to cross this body of water and they had all these prayers and incantations that would allow the gods and this person to cross over the river into um, a shadowy existence with their god. And they
0: didn't even really know what this was. Yeah. And so there, you know, whenever you read these ancient Egyptian texts, again, we we've got about as much of this as we have yep. with the original mm-hmm. Bible stuff. It's just not there. So we're reading, you know, copies of copies of copies and things. But mm-hmm. what it seems like is they didn't have a good handle on this. Yep. They had some idea of afterlife and that's yep. why we see pyramids in Egypt and we see them thinking that if if they were great rulers, they may yeah. become a god, but they didn't know what happened to everybody else. Did yeah. they did they go over to the sea and they were judged here mm-hmm. and some fell into the sea? So there's actually if you read a lot of these ancient things, some of the Israelites probably would have been concerned that there were actually spirits of the dead yeah, in, in the that seas. sea. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so you get this um this phrase in these Egyptian texts called the Makayu That means the drowned ones.
0: Yeah. And so
1: what what happens here is those who didn't make it across to an existence with the gods would be the drowned ones is kind of basically the damned yeah the ones in hell in yeah. egyptian thought and so here what's happening in the crossing of the red sea when pharaoh and his army get drowned they become the makayu so this is kind of interesting because we
0: get like the uh johnny depp movie kind yeah. of about the the old you know sea things yeah. and stuff like that and that's yeah, david jones locker that's kind of like where this <laughs> comes from is these yeah. Those, those that don't make it. And so there's all kinds of old Egyptian lore mm-hmm. that goes along with this. And again, we could spend yep. tons of videos just on this. But the, the important thing is, is this sea signified something spiritual. Yep. It signified some kind of a delineation of life would you go on and become a god so to speak or godlike, mm-hmm. or would you simply go into the earth never to be heard before you know become the damned army or whatever yep. it
1: might be yep so the ones who are guided safely to the other side wasn't through the incantations or anything of the gods of egypt it was yahweh himself yeah. bringing them through the red sea and they didn't even have to i guess make it to the shadowy existence god splits the sea and they walk right through so when we talk about passover and communion it's all about the passing from life to death and that's what we see here it's not really an allegorical thing what they're saying here about the sea is that that literally in jesus it's a a passover it's a they travel through death it's not so much that it's like Yeah, it's the celebration of Passover all over in here. So you're
0: making connections along the way. Mm -hmm. In fact, you'll see Matt and I smirking all the time because it's like we're saying this because Mm -hmm. we understand that this has huge implications later on in the story. And so like when we were explaining the passing of life, what you're going to find is that, you know, this the Exodus motive Mm -hmm. is passing through the sea you know you're you're putting all the old gods behind mm-hmm. it's a victory over them you're leaving them you're watching them get expunged into the sea and you have new life new covenant
1: in communion yep all right so yeah like as westerners we kind of miss all these connections <laughs> yeah. trying to prove history mm-hmm. and we miss all these theological connections which are so important to our view of the cross yes. Uh, yes. all right so let's look at passover when um they're in the land god instructs it has some instructions for the passover sacrifice so yep. let's dig into that just quickly and before we move into the new testament
0: so this is deuteronomy 16 1 through 7
1: yep so ver- uh, observe the month of aviv and celebrate the passover of the lord your god because in the month of aviv he brought you out of egypt by night sacrifice sacrifice is the passover um to the lord your god an animal from your flock or herd at the place the lord will choose for the dwelling of his name Do not eat it with bread made from yeast but for seven days eat unleavened bread the bread of affliction because you left egypt in haste so all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from egypt let no yeast be found in your possession in all the land for seven days do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning you must not sacrifice the passover in any town the lord your god gives you except the place he chooses for the dwelling of his name There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose in the the morning. Return to your tents for six days, eat unleavened bread on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work.
0: It's important to read that. Read it a couple times. Hit pause right now and just go over that a little bit because this is pretty instrumental. Now, we started off explaining the sacrifices and kind of mm-hmm. putting them in different you know, classifications. So when you read this, this is I'm going to call this a well-being offering. And in our Western mindset, we get this wrong. We, mm-hmm. we think that we're asking for forgiveness offering, for each thing yeah. that we did, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not what it is. And so it's really more of this going back to... The Exodus motive—it's allegiance. It's yeah. that first step. This is again. This isn't salvation. This is just just saying. Think today: who is your allegiance going to be with? And yeah. if your allegiance is going to be to God, and you and God delivers you, yeah. then we need to say thank you for those things that are going. And unfortunately, this is the way that most of our prayers work. Yeah. They're ninety-five percent you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there's nothing wrong with that, but back in Old Testament offering, which is going to translate into New Testament prayer life, there's a lot more to it than that.
1: All right, so there's one other interesting story here in the Old Testament, and then we'll kind of summarize a little bit and then move into the New Testament. Uh, Second Chronicles 30, 13 to 20. A very large crowd assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Remember, that's the offering just to meet with the Lord. It wasn't about forgiveness of sins or anything. It was just, hey, we want to spend some time with you. Um, Then they took up the regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, uh, Iskar, Zebulun, had not purified themselves, they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their hearts on seeking god the lord the god of their ancestors even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary and the lord heard hezekiah and healed the people
0: all right this is what i would call a minor text when you were in grade school and sunday school this is one that you You probably got to and okay we're just going to skip over to the next chapter Why are these in our Bible? These are really important. In fact, some of the minor texts that we have, oftentimes, we're not majoring on the minors, but the Mm -hmm. minor texts are going to give us a lot of definition into the majors. And so, you probably never slowly read this, and I'm gonna say pause the film again and read it over and over because, boy, if it doesn't have implications on other theology of Mm -hmm. Matt was joking about hell earlier, and this one's right there again, and so, what what are these saying contrary to what people usually think you people have these preconceived notions of you know wrath and things like that and what's what's required before god and this one kind of
1: smashes all those theories yep so what we have here is the people repented of their idolatry that's what starts with they were unclean, but celebrated the Passover as commanded.
0: Yeah, so God's going to say, celebrate this. And there's all these rituals for cleanliness. We have. They don't have time to do them. Chapters and chapters yeah. of do this, do this. And all of a sudden, God just says, just just forget hmm. it. I just want you to come to me.
1: Yeah, and we see the sacrifice here wasn't about forgiveness, appeasement, or a- averting wrath. It's the burnt offering. So yeah. it's just about coming before the Lord. Right. Uh, God, I want to spend some time. Here's a reciprocal gift. Relationship. Yep. Heart. Yep. Yeah. So they asked God to pardon the ones whose hearts were set on the Lord and it wasn't connected to sacrifice yeah. at all. Yeah. So I
0: hope you're getting all
1: this. I yeah. hope you're reading in between the lines here. But
0: all of these doctrines now that are set on, you know, your forgiveness, your repentance is linked to Sacrifice. Sacrifice, blood, salvation, all this and, stuff, we have this very vivid picture and God goes, That's not
1: it. Don't Mm -hmm. go there. So the Lord heard them and healed the people. Yeah. And then we got to look. All right. So forgiveness isn't connected to sacrifice. It seems like it's connected to repentance. Yeah.
0: So keep all those things in there. Kind of package them up. We're going to. We're moving through all of this as we get to some other ideas. And again, I'll just go back to where we started this film. None of this is necessarily groundbreaking. Oh my goodness, I never read that before. You know, that's going to change my life tomorrow but it influences so much of your theology in other places.
1: Yep. so let's recap Exodus and Passover and we'll move into some New Testament stuff then. Judgment
0: on the powers, that's yep. where I always yep. start. There's this cosmic battle of the powers going on and that's, if you don't get that as the major thing mm-hmm. that's happening in Exodus, you miss it. And when it's a major theme in the first Exodus and every time we start to read other Exodus pictures throughout later Old Testament and New mm-hmm. Testament, guess what? Our minds should go right back to that and say, if we see any kind of exodus theme or motive, what are they saying? They're talking about the cosmic battle of
1: powers. Yep. So it was released from slavery, from yeah. the powers. You see that the judgment was on the gods to release them. Though yep. it was Egypt, they always saw in the biblical spiritual worldview, there's powers behind the people. Our White isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, as Paul says. And and
0: I mentioned before, we don't see any debt or sin language. And Mm -hmm. so those those kind of three, ransom, debts, you know, all this stuff, PSA language over there, they're not going to find, if you think this way, if you go back and really research the Exodus, those atonement theories are going to be very difficult to find within this Old Testament. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it says God purchases a people. And the way he purchases them is by releasing his people from slavery. There's no... Price being paid there, he calls him his sons and daughters. So it's not a purchase or a legal metaphor. It's a, it's a rescue.
0: To rescue, and it's it's a healing metaphor. Uh-huh.
1: Yep. And so later in
0: the New Testament, what are we seeing? Jesus, Jesus is defined as you know the the doctor, the healer of uh-huh. life, the yep. healer of relationships. The great and physician. That's what we see here in the Old Testament. They work so tight together. So mm-hmm. to to do something. Other than that, whether you're using legal or debt or whatever, it doesn't fit the narrative of the Old Testament Exodus, and it really doesn't fit the narrative yep. of the New Testament when all the references yep. are circular to the yep. way they saw the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, so Passover sacrifices were a community meal, so think communion. Yeah, so, um, communion meal, it's and celebrated and, being rescued.
0: And again, we're not just responsible for ourselves. Matt yep. and I are in this together. Mm-hmm we just don't think that way today.
1: And also when we go back to the lamb there that was slaughtered, it wasn't one lamb for every person. Yeah. It was a lamb. If there was enough to go, if if you didn't have enough to go around, invite your friends over. Yeah. So the one lamb covered a whole household and maybe multiple households.
0: And that's really, it's communal thinking from uh-huh. the beginning. When they're raising this lamb, it wasn't just, I'm making a 4-H project of yep. this beautiful lamb. This is like hey, we're getting our small group together and we're going to win the small group prize, so to speak. You know, like this is,
1: we're all in In this together. together. So two big key things for Exodus is it's rescue from death and it's deliverance from slavery. Absolutely. So those are the two big key things.
0: So I think it's time, we've been alluding and hinting to New Testament thoughts and things like that. And I think it's time to get there. But we're really going to just dwell on what the New Testament Bible says. Yep. But I'm really tempted to make four more films about all the Second Temple stuff. Because if you watch our films at all, you're going to know that we think Second Temple literature is paramount. We it's important. We don't think that it's inspired, so to speak, but our version of inspired might be different than your version of inspired. Mm-hmm. But we do think it's important. It's, it's mm-hmm. what the people of the day were thinking, the yeah. ideas they were coming up with. And so when you read a lot of that second temple stuff, now again, this is generations and generations after Exodus, Guess what? A huge part of that theme, their the writing is about.
1: They're looking for another exodus. They're looking
0: for another exodus, and so Deliverance we get from this. Exile powers. It's apocrypha. You know, we we read the apocrypha. And we have Psalm seventeen. We have. Uh, uh second maccabees we have baruch i'm just almost every book in the apocrypha has exodus themes. leans into that now we didn't have the dead sea Scroll stuff for a long time but up on its discovery one of the first things when they discovered the dead sea scrolls is it went how old are these because they keep talking about the exodus the exodus <laughs> so, you know and so, you know, I, I could name these. You get 4Q252, 4Q554, 4Q434. I could probably just do 4Q and three numbers, and it would have an Exodus theme in it because yep.
1: it's all over it. Yeah, Book of Jubilees it's Yeah, all over there. yeah. So.
0: Treatise yeah. on the on the Saints is also going to have that. We're going to have the words of the Luminaries. We're gonna we're gonna just uh, the, tes- the testament of, of Levi. Levi. Yep. Yeah, that's an
1: important yep. one. All of those Exodus themes all over.
0: Anytime you see the name Enoch, now this is really crazy because Enoch at this point is going to be old, 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 and we have all these stories on Enoch. Yet when they talk about Enoch, you're going to see. Themes of the Exodus. Deliverance from the powers. How do those two things fit? That's what everybody was thinking. So if their framework in Second Temple was that way, starting three, four hundred years before Jesus, going into one, two, three hundred years after Jesus, and all the writings were saying, Exodus, 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 Exodus. Why don't we think this
1: way? Yeah. Um, So if it was in the water there, it obviously is in the mindset of the New Testament authors. Yes. Because they were in this culture. Yeah. so
0: And they would have assumed that. Mm-hmm. So, I think in the first few centuries when they're reading the New Testament, the, the assumptions are there, but we don't read in our Western mindset today mm-hmm. with those same assumptions. Yeah.
1: So, um, Second Temple Jews, like you said, had this motif of that. Um, and so what they thought of was deliverance in the New Testament from the powers of Rome yeah. and from their enemies and it did, when Jesus came it didn't quite look like what they thought. <laughs> so I alluded to this. Yeah. You
0: know, what did the Egyptians probably want they they wanted to actually go kill, you know, the Hebrews wanted to go kill, kill the Egyptians, Egyptians themselves. They wanted to become this great army, mm-hmm. but God does the battling for him. And mm-hmm. we always say what is God's ideal Matt Mm -hmm. and I are pretty firm believers that in almost every story of the Old Testament, the people, God's people, actually weren't supposed to do anything. They weren't even... They were
1: just supposed to let God do it. They
0: they weren't supposed to go to war. They weren't supposed to train. They were basically just to go pray, offer offer altars and things like that. Mm -hmm. And God was supposed to go before them and do the work. We get that picture of the first exodus that God did it all for them. Mm -hmm. Why would we think later in First and Second Kings that God would want the people to fight those battles? Yep. And then later when we get into the Messiah coming, mm-hmm. we see the same theme. People are looking for this yep. militant takeover that they want to fight. And God says, I'm actually going to do this on my own, through my own powers. Yep. And I would actually just like you guys to yep. step aside and be faithful.
1: Yep. So let's get into some of the Gospels, Um, and we'll get into this more a few videos down the road. we got Day of Atonement next, and then Isaiah 53 before we get into what does Jesus say about his own. So we'll get into this a little more.
0: I'll I'll just put a little preference here, too. The timing of these things is important. In the next film, we're going to talk more about timing, but a lot of people today... um, are going to put jesus uh the the last dinner that jesus is having a passover meal with his disciples matt and i don't view it that way matt and i see jesus as the passover dinner and so this is a little bit of a controversial point but a lot of the things that we're going to allude to or make references Mm -hmm. both in this film and the next film are going to point to that we're not trying to necessarily like throw it back in anybody's face we're just saying that when we read the bible this is the way we see see it it. yeah
1: so when jesus kicks off his ministry in luke in luke chapter 4 17 to 20 goes the spirit of the lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners to recover sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the lord's favor and so and then he rolls up the scroll and says this is fulfilled in your midst so jesus's whole mission is Exodus-themed, release of yeah. prisoners. And when you say Exodus-themed, what are you talking about? You're talking about freedom and deliverance. Mm-hmm.
0: And so as as Egypt left the slavery situation yeah. that they were in, they were given freedom, they were given deliverance, they were given some kind of a framework for a love relationship yeah. with this God. And as we get into, let's reveal the word New Exodus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into this New Exodus with Jesus, which is going to establish a new covenant, and we're going to see... Those exact same themes carry true.
1: Yep. So let's go to the Last Supper. We were just talking about that a little bit. We got Luke twenty-two, um, Matthew twenty-six, Mark fourteen. You can also go First Corinthians eleven, They're and all you can yeah. kind of read all about that. But historically, in uh, like, we believe it was similar to a Seder meal, but it wasn't exactly a Seder meal. Uh, there were four cups.
0: Now this is what I always say in Hebrew. We we want to go back and we want to celebrate these feasts exactly on the days that mm-hmm. they were, and like. That's not the Hebrew way mm-hmm. of thinking. Now, there were some things that were very precise. Like when you celebrated a Passover meal, you it was all supposed to be cleaned up before mm-hmm. the next day. That's going to be important yeah. later when we get to it. So there were things that were spelled out like that. So that particular one mm-hmm. was in part because they didn't want these to turn into drunken festivals. Yeah. And so there's a lot of reasoning going on to that. But some things are precise, but the majority of them are actually not very precise. And yeah. so, you know, these like a, uh, a traditional Seder meal we think of, like sometimes those are started a long time before. It's kind of like if you're going to a music festival and you say, well, I want to go two days before and set up my camp and like hang out with my friends and things like that. Some some of the best music festivals, the, the pre-parties are better than the actual party. And that's a Hebraic way of thinking mm-hmm. that like this isn't just one day. This is, uh, I'm all in here. And yeah. that's, really the mindset that if you were all in the timing doesn't so much matter because your regular life doesn't differentiate from the time that you're going yeah. to church so to speak yeah. And that's also in our lives the way it should be too many of us go to church yeah. on sundays and live differently the rest of the days and From the old Exodus narrative theme to the new covenant, that's still the mindset Mm -hmm. of get out of that Western way of thinking. Don't just go to church on Sundays. You're with me all the time in everything that you do.
1: Yeah. So at um, a typical Seder dinner, you'd have four cups. Right. um and jesus says that he's won't drink the last cup until he comes into his kingdom right. so we let most people likely think that it was the third cup that jesus did and they all the all of these um coincide with the four i will statements yep. that god makes in the exodus so the first cup is a cup of sanctification that's i'll bring you out from under the burden of the egyptians yeah. the second cup is judgment i will deliver you from their bondage and the third cup is the one that most people think that he drank. Is I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Remember that mighty right yeah. arm thing, yeah. with great judgments.
0: So, are you guys seeing the connection? We have we have this Exodus story of the Egyptians and Hebrews being delivered, and then when it comes to Jesus, he's redoing this mm-hmm. again and again. In in first on the powers. in first second generations of after mm-hmm. Jesus, they would have just got this. Yeah, they just would have read it and go, oh yeah, that's Exodus themed. Da, da 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 But but today we kind of lose that importance in it, and we need to regain it.
1: Yeah, so that third cup was about deliverance and judgment on the powers, yeah, on people. <laughs> so, so what's um, the fourth cup that you said wasn't wasn't? Yeah, the cup of been... praise. I will take you for my people, and I'll be your God. This probably talks more about the second coming. Yeah. So, um, all right. So then, communion also celebrates the new covenant that was told by Jeremiah in Jeremiah thirty-one. So thirty-one through thirty-four in Jeremiah says. The days are coming, declares the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with my people, the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Or I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. Talking about the end of exile there.
0: So this is Jeremiah kind of prophetically mm-hmm. looking forward. And uh-huh. what they're looking for is an end of exile. Now, they've, by the time Jeremiah writes this, they've kind of already experienced mm-hmm. a little shadow Go of the end of, end of exile. But you can see from an Israelite's mindset, the, it hasn't culminated mm-hmm. yet. It's, and even today, if you talk yeah. to a traditional Jew, they're not sure that they're yeah. out of exile. Today. Yeah. That's an argument.
1: Mm-hmm. So, we got, yeah, uh, in this passage, um, connecting it to the Last Supper, we got uh, 12 disciples representing the 12 tribes. This is remnant. Yep. Forgiveness, the end of exile, or the exile to the powers, Um, the new covenants connected to the exodus there. And... So yeah, when we remember no, it's
0: important when you say that too so there there's a connection, but Jesus tends to take what's in the Old Testament and kind of build on it. I mm-hmm. don't like to call it further revelation because I don't see that it's changed no. I see that it's just you know taking the same themes and carrying those things over to branch from old covenant to new covenant thinking, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is the same and and that's important to note that that's what's going on here too
1: yeah so um so let's look at. Passover and Exodus a little bit in the book of John so uh, the Gospel of John we have Jesus declared as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist at the beginning and then at the end we see him crucified during Passover and that's in um, John chapter 19 and so the book ends there connect the Exodus theme in John Um, so some connections in John here is Jesus was crucified while the lambs are being slaughtered and we see that in John 18 28 1914, a few other verses. There's also there. that reference I made earlier that we're going to get yep. to this, that you know the mm-hmm. Passover meal was supposed to be finished. And mm-hmm. you'll
0: notice that... Um, Jesus was removed from the cross in this kind of expedient manner, yeah. mm-hmm. and that, that lines yeah. up with that.
1: Next thing is, Jesus' body was not allowed to stay on the cross until morning, just as the Passover meal wasn't allowed to remain until the next day. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. Drunken festival. Yeah. Thing, yeah. So the next is the presence, of the presence of the hyssop branch that spread the blood on the doorways during the Passover. This is probably
0: my, almost my favorite yeah. one. So yeah.
1: they used a hyssop branch with the sponge with the wine and vinegar on the cross, and this is a picture um, that... On the cross, Jesus' blood um was shed, but the cross was the doorpost for the world. That's important. So you have the doorpost of if
0: you if you want to take the first step of allegiance. And again, I go back to this is not salvific yep. yet. It's going to get there. Yep. But if you want to make a proclamation this is where it's done through Jesus on the cross.
1: Yeah, Jesus' legs weren't broken, we see the other criminals ones were, just as the Passover lamb was not to have any broken bones. So that's
0: unusual. When, Mm -hmm. When you go back and you look at people that were, you know, crucified, their bones are broken almost every time, in fact, I'm not sure that you could find another instance of somebody's bones that weren't broken. Yeah.
1: Yep. So, uh, the blood of the lamb ransomed the firstborn of Israel from death and Jesus' blood ransoms us or rescues us from death. So don't think you say
0: say ransom. What does that mean? (laughs)
1: Well, We'll we'll get into this a little more when we look at what Jesus says about him being a, a ransom for many. But the ransom here, God is said to ransom Israel, but was there any price paid in the Exodus? No. His ransom was his mighty right arm smashing the powers.
0: So at the beginning of the film, we said. Do we we believe in ransom theory? There's a Uh there's a ransom theory of atonement. We just don't necessarily believe with what the ransom theory of atonement says. But we believe that there was a ransom. We just see it differently than what really that
1: theory usually says. Yeah. So when we look at the Exodus and God says He ransoms His people, there was no price paid. God's ransom was smashing the enemy so His people could go free. So that was the ransom. Right. It wasn't a price. It was God's action of deliverance. Yeah. Um, So Jesus' death is seen as a departure and a defeat of the powers, especially in resurrection as a new exodus so this is cool because you yeah. have
0: eden and when Pete, when when adam and eve are kicked out of the cosmic cosmic sanctuary mm-hmm. god still says i'm going to come amongst you and bring that sa- uh, that sacrificed uh atonement to yeah. you through being together later uh, i was kind of alluding to that's going to come into jesus's atonement but yeah. this is The plan to regain what was lost in Eden. In fact, I I say this all the time. The entire story of the Bible is what we're reading of God's Mm -hmm. regaining plan. So Genesis 1 through 3, we have what was lost. And the rest of the body, the Bible, we have the story of how it's regained.
1: Yeah, it's interesting even like uh, after Jesus is resurrected... Mary thinks that Jesus was the gardener. Yes. So the new Adam. New Adam. <laughs> so, theology, the yeah, gardener. I love yeah. it. So uh let's look at the Exodus and Paul a little bit. Romans five through eight specifically talks about This, this. is another
0: one we could do a whole film or two or three yeah. or four on.
1: Yeah. So Romans five talks about us being under the power of sin, a power of death, and that's like the new Pharaoh. Yeah. Um so we're all taken by this power of death. Jesus frees us from death, delivers us. That's the Passover, Passover lamb type yeah. And thing then there. you get
0: into Romans 6. And Romans 6 is all about baptism. Going or you through the see sea. Yeah. 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 So
1: it's about a departure from the powers and into God's rule. Yep. Um, Romans 7. Talk- legion thinking again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Romans 7 talks about the law was powerless to deal with sin and powers.
0: So how many times have you guys read Romans 5 to 8 and you've probably never seen all this Exodus, Exodus. theme. And yeah. you won't be able to read mm-hmm. it again and not get yeah. that. So now... Pause the film and go read
1: Romans... In fact, just read the whole
0: book. And (laughs) and you're going to get it all over. You're going to go, how did I not get this before? It's all over the book.
1: Yep, and then Romans 8 begins with Jesus defeating sin. um, And it talks about... the spirit conforming us to christ likeness that brings us into new creation Um, right now
0: some people want to see this some people read this as jesus being
1: punished by sin no it's defeating sin in his flesh yeah it's the strong arm motif again yes yeah so um that's kind of a quick recap of romans 5 through 8 which is a whole exodus theme yeah um and she writes written more on this um that's what well. I'm saying, like film after film. We could break up so much of this, but we're just going to leave it yep. there. Yep, so Colossians one twelve to 12-14 uh, says, "...and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people into the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves." Whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're
0: getting to the point of the film where we hardly have to explain these these.
1: because we just read them,
0: and you're going, "Oh Oh my goodness!" There it is. Yeah, we have
1: have redemption language, and that's language used in the Exodus. We have rescue from dark powers, forgiveness of sins, which is the end of exile, and inheritance, which is coming. God's giving
0: us. Now, this is where, at the beginning of the film, I said Matt and I kind of lean towards a little bit of a Christus Victor. But, but we're going to find a lot of truth in a, a, lot of a lot of these. In fact, I even was throwing stones at ransom, but we believe in ransom theory. One properly defined. We, <laughs> we properly defined, and so we're going to take all of them. It's kind of that Scott McKnight golf club theory that we might not see the ransom theory the way the rest of the world sees ransom theory, but we're, we're going to take parts of that ransom mm-hmm. theory, but the majority of Exodus... And this is where Matt might feel a little bit differently than me, but I'm strongly rooted as a Christus Victor person Mm -hmm. being paramount on this. And then everything else kind of supportive of that.
1: Yep. Um, Galatians chapter 4, we got some more. So we were were underage. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world when the time... Uh, had fully come God sent his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons God sent his spirit to his son of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba father so you are no longer a slave but a child, and since you are a child, God has made you an error.
0: Again, we hardly have to define this. We've mm-hmm. got this redemption language, we got slavery, slavery, child language going on there. It just it just screams mm. Exodus. Yep.
1: First Corinthians five, seven to eight. Get rid of the old yeast that you might the new unleavened batch as you really are for christ our passover lamb has been sacrificed therefore let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth
0: yeah so delivery from the slavery the powers again is yeah. paramount here a new way of
1: living new covenant mm-hmm. uh first peter 18 uh sorry 1 18 to 21 For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who was raised from the dead and glorified him, and uh, so your faith and hope are in God.
0: Now this one is, a, we get a little stronger language mm-hmm. here than the other one. So we have the redemption exodus language yep. going on, but there's even more. This kind of has some references to the blood over the doorposts. Yep.
1: Jesus is a lamb without blemish or defect. That's the Passover lamb. And
0: the important thing to get out of here is resurrection is about deliverance of that death. It's kind of the crossing over of the sea yeah. of deliverance.
1: Yep. So yeah, it's got, that uh, we get more of it in uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
0: This is one of what I think is one of the most paramount verses in the entire New Testament or sections of verses in the entire New Testament. It it talks about who we are. And I, I... I don't preach very often, but the last time I preached, this is what I preached on, is that we are today sacred priests in that calling, that Adam and Eve, the ideal way was that they were to be set apart as priests, and in a new covenant thinking that's who we are to mm-hmm. this dark world
1: yep so yeah as a result of exodus we're set apart we're freed and we're kingdom of priests that's all language if you go read the exodus Light, darkness yep. yeah god wanted israel to be a whole kingdom of priests yeah um so we've been rescued from so darkness. Did
0: God punish Jesus? That's that's one of the things that flushes out here.
1: Yeah, no, we don't see it at all. <laughs>
0: so, so Yeah, we're just uh, set free from slavery. That's it. There's yeah. no punishment of Jesus going
1: on or yeah. anything so else. So Revelation, let's look at that just a little bit. So in Revelation chapter five, it talks about the Lamb who was slain with His bloody purchase to people for God. This is Exodus language. Remember, there was no actual purchasing going on in the Exodus, like no money being exchanged yeah. or God paying off the devil or Jesus paying off God on the cross. The purchase is not about a legal function, but it's about release from slavery. Like we said, the the purchase was actually, the ransom was the smashing of the powers. <laughs> no.
0: throughout Revelation, if you go back and read the whole book, or yeah. you're going to just have to read the whole Bible, I think, yeah. after this one, but you go back and read Revelation, there is so much Exodus uh-huh. motif going on here, but we're going to kind of just talk about Revelation 15 and 21, because if you followed our eschatology series, mm-hmm. those are two very important uh, chapters yeah. on it, so what do those two kind of talk about, and where's the connection?
1: Yeah, so Revelation 15, the Church sings the song of Moses. Yes. So, and of the Lamb, for it's the deliverance from the nations and the powers behind those nations and there's
0: a whole study in the alpha and omega thing going on too Uh that you know this is all circular we talk Uh about this a lot that you know this story of moses the song of moses is one of the most Mm -hmm. complex things we have one of the oldest things we have and it's one of the last things talked about in revelation of going into a recreated new heaven and earth and so we see this this theme again from uh eve until the end of recreated heaven heaven and earth i'm sorry uh eden Eden, yeah to the recreated heaven and earth of of that we're seeing the entire exodus motif first and then repeated in jesus and then a little bit of that is going to be
1: new creation new creation yep so yeah so that's kind of a snapshot of of most of the new testament and there's more that we could go into in that but that's just kind of a Bird, bird's eye view. So let
0: We've gone through a lot. We've kind of, like we always say, haven't left any rock uncovered. We've we've talked through all these things. And I'm just going to go back to where we started. Like, None of this is necessarily going to change your life, but it's going to change the way that you view the rest of the Bible, your mm-hmm. interpretation, your lens, things like that. So let's just in a nutshell kind of go through and just kind of bullet point the journey that we've been on because it's really easy to not not remember the important things that happened because we've talked about a lot so so we're just going to kind of go through this last part of the film and tell you what's important about what we touched on today yep
1: so exodus is simply about rescue from death and deliverance from slavery
0: keep it simple yep that's simple
1: two points yep death slavery so the language of redemption rescue ransom are all words that are directly connected to exodus which mean deliverance but not punishment yeah So we're rescued from the powers and we're rescued from sin. We're not rescued from God.
0: (laughs) We kind of get that with the wrath language too. The same
1: thing going on. Yeah. Yep. So the purpose of the rescue is to create a kingdom of priests. So remember in our first episode we talked about sin and the image of god and it brings us back to our original purpose yeah, yeah. and that's the rescue
0: and up until this point if you lived in egypt you might feel like there is there is no one true god that the world is captivated by mm-hmm. these fallen deities these fallen gods and so this is a re-emergence of, mm-hmm. of god taking his rightful place in the world yeah and reclaiming so, what was his mm-hmm.
1: yeah forgiveness language um, that's involved here and in the new testament is about deliverance from exile so the original adamic exile yep. and the jewish exile in that context of basically being yeah diaspora absolutely. and stuff like that so what about
0: debt language we've covered that several times in have, here
1: have we seen any <laughs> <Is No>. there, <laughs> the language of purchase jesus giving up his life has to be interpreted through the exodus motif
0: the only debt we get here is that we need we we are giving our lives to this story because jesus is rescuing us from the death and from the power yeah
1: so because he's rescued us we owe our lives to him yeah so, so. in terms of debt that's really all we see in the
0: bible mm-hmm. you know there there really isn't more and so whenever you get into these theories that really build on debt be careful
1: mm-hmm. so there's no appeasement or legal language in the picture of the exodus at all there's all kinds of healing language but mm-hmm. not legal language so if you want to get picky there isn't even an act of atonement being spoken of in exodus yeah yeah so if you look at the specifically talked about the caper words a little yeah, bit purging. last yeah. week it talked about purging or covering yep. um, you could say that the power is being defeated that they've been wiped out yeah. the cover right. uh, dissolved i guess you say the power removed so that's kind of in that ballpark but the overall picture isn't dealing with morality and forgiveness it's being rescued and us being restored to what we were created to be a kingdom of priests so this is
0: really important because again you're going to start seeing some of these atonement theories build on things that in the old testament they just weren't there and if you sit in the New Testament, you take little words and pull them out here and there, and it doesn't go back to the big picture of what the Exodus theory was. It doesn't match. And that, again, theologically, that just doesn't work. And you're going to be having to do all kinds of gymnastics to try to make it work. And a lot of the people that hold these views or these camps have this huge separation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They, They almost write off the Old Testament as this just ancient babble you know mm-hmm. and where matt and i go oh no they're very strongly related and mm-hmm. tied into each other
1: yeah so since jesus's primary motif here for communicating his crucifixion was the exodus that should be our primary metaphor for thinking about the cross and its effects so i think we can chalk one up here for christus victory. yeah yeah definitely <laughs> so. so what matt is
0: really kind of saying here is that when you go into any kind of atonement theory you have to bring in the foundation for atonement theories, which was in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. So when you view a new atonement theory, you should be viewing it through the lens of Exodus. Mm-hmm. If it, 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 It's screaming, as we showed in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. They're saying, this is Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. They're, they're linked, they're shadows. There might be a little building on that mm-hmm. as Jesus is going to perfect the old testament but it circularly goes back and both of them are going to signify or reiterate the other one and we can't lose that if we disconnect them we've lost the overall lens or message that was intended to have been received by the believers and to go into the new covenant all
1: right So next time we're going to look at the day of atonement um jesus didn't die on the day of atonement but we see it's a timeline thing we're going to talk about yeah (laughs) we we, we see jesus fulfilling the day of atonement um through his death so it's not as prominent as the exodus themes but there's a few connections in the new testament so it's worth looking at um and you'll be surprised kind of how much overlap there is with today's topic Of the Exodus.
0: I don't know that it's going to seem like we're having the same video, but there's going to be a lot of repetitive thinking. But I would say at this point in the film, this is only the introduction film number one. Uh, This is two. Two, yeah. And we're probably going to end up with 12 or 15. I don't don't know at this point. But all of them now are going to have some kind of repetitive language of the Exodus because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. So I hope you understand that. Um... Like I said, today's a simple idea, in 30 seconds you could just say that all the themes in the Exodus are also reiterated in Jesus Jesus. and the atonement. And so, once you get that picture and you don't disconnect the two of them, you're going to think of atonement theories a little bit differently. May God bless you and keep you.